the 9 a.m. service was a little more hooting and hollering, that song. You guys usually uh, are way more uh, responsive than they are, but they will get the award today. Hashtag more miles, Clay. Said it for months. We need more miles. Um, right, Miles? So, uh, there are people. This is, a, this is very true. Uh, there are people that hear Clay sing, and they don't see him. And then when they see him, they go, oh, you're just a skinny white dude. Because <laughs> their vision of him is something totally different just by hearing him sing. So I'll leave it at that. So. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. We continue our study in the book of Philippians. Remember the... Church of Philippi has ministered to Paul as he is in prison. They sent Epaphroditus with him with resources and gifts. And a letter, Epaphroditus grows very ill unto death, and yet he presses on to the Apostle Paul. And Paul, once he sees Epaphroditus, hears from Epaphroditus about the church, instead of keeping this soldier with him for his good, he serves the church by sending him back with this letter. And Paul addresses in this letter the issue of unity. This is a church that is full of great joy in the gospel. And he says, you've got to use that joy in the gospel for unity in the church. And today he talks about personal responsibility as we press into the gospel. If we're going to be a church united in the gospel, all of us as individuals have to continue to press into Christ likeness. We all have to, to strive to be like Christ. And Paul describes what that is like here in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. Hear the words of Christ through the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the very Spirit of God. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Oh God, we pray that we would hold to the gospel because the gospel is ours. As we press on to look more like Christ, to reflect his righteousness, may we never forget his righteousness is ours. We are covered in it. God, I pray that that would only propel us to finish this race strong. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This time of the year always reminds me of the beginning of high school football season. And during that time of the year, uh, we would show up at the school for conditioning and workouts and two-a-days. And part of that at the school that I went to, part of our conditioning, included a three-mile run in the very heat of the day that ended with uh, sprinting up a hill to finish where the coaches stood at the finish line 
keeping all of our individual tithes. Now, this sort of gauntlet or vision of a gauntlet sort of weighed heavy on freshmen as we thought about playing high school football. And yet for me, I, I, I've always been competitive, always wanted to be the best. And so playing football, I, I wanted to play. I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to, to be the best on the team. That's just the way that I always thought about what I did. But to be honest with you, I was a little scrawny nothing as a freshman, and so my physical makeup was not going to allow me to be the best on the team. But I did believe I could run. And so if I was going to impress the coaches, I could finish first on this three-mile run. I I believed I could do that. And yet there was a senior, his name was Adrian Bell. And he, he prepared his whole high school career to play college football. And he was, he was ripped. I mean, he was jacked. And he, he conditioned constantly. And he lifted weights constantly. And he was, he was in great shape. He was the example of what you wanted to be if you were going to play college football. And I, I thought as we prepared for the season and as we took part in conditioning and as we as we ran that three miles in the heat of the day if i could just find him because he's the best and if i could just keep pace with him and and if i could just keep him in my sights then when we got to the end and we got to that last sprint up the hill i i believed i was fast enough to outrun him up that hill i just believed that that's not what happened I did keep him in my sights, and there were several times I would be right with him, and we would get to that hill, and I would be torched, like not even close. And I realized I probably don't need to be playing football because that's that's superhuman stuff right there, and I don't have it. He would just blow me away. You know, this isn't the sort of story where I faced my giants and somehow I outran the guy. That didn't happen. I, I was left believing maybe this isn't the sport for me. But, but, but keeping pace with him, Adrian, and, and, and sprinting up the hill, it wasn't meaningless. Because as the summer went on, my times got better. I got in better shape. And every day my coaches would see, man, he works really hard. And that benefited me later as I wanted to play. I wanted playing time. So it wasn't meaningless. But here in our passage, Paul describes following Christ in the same way. We, we want to follow Christ. We want to pursue Him. We want to be like Him. And, and we stretch out to catch Him on this race. The Christian who has the Spirit of God, that's what they long for, is to be like Him. And yet over and over we feel, we feel like He's just elusive. He, he's torching us up the hill. We'll never catch Him. We'll, we'll never keep pace with Him. Paul says that that's how the Christian life so often feels when it comes to likeness. But he says here, we are to press forward. We are not to give up. Paul has explained in chapter 2 that it is Jesus that sets the pace. Jesus is the example. The one who had all glory. He had all authority. And yet he became a man. He became a slave. He became a curse on the cross for us. That's the example. That's who you are to follow. That is the pace that has been set for you. And if you are a Christian, you long to be that way. If you you have the Spirit of God, you long to be like Christ. 
And if you don't long to be like Christ, there's question if you have the very Spirit of God. But we long for that. And yet it seems to be a goal we'll never attain. Notice even Paul describes it this way in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this. I have never obtained Christ's likeness in the way that Christ gave up his life and gave up all things for the joy and the sacrifice that was before him. He delighted in suffering for the sake of the others. I've never obtained this. And it's very important for Paul to say this because we would look at the Apostle Paul who is writing this letter with chains on his wrist. And yet he's not prideful about it. He, he, he's not, I have it together. Look at me. No, he's like, I'm not there yet. I may be a hero in the church's newsletter. I'm not there yet. My goal is Christ. And I'll never get there. I'll never be as perfect as Christ is. Notice he says, I'm not already perfect. I'm not complete in Christ. But notice what he does. But I press on. I strive. I don't give up. No, I strive. I work. I push forward. I give maximum effort to pursue Christ and be like him. I press on. Notice he says to make it my own. To flesh out the gospel. Jesus is my example. And Paul says, I want to experience that kind of suffering and Christ-like sacrifice. And I work for it. I strategize for it. Press into it. It is my goal as a Christian. And notice why. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I want to make sacrifice my own because Jesus has made me his own. Jesus made me his own on a cross. And so what do I do? I take up the cross and follow him. Jesus made me his own. Jesus made us his brothers in the gospel. We believe the gospel. We have the spirit of God. We become sons of God. We are brothers of Christ. We are followers of Christ. The word Christian means little Christ. That's who we are. We reflect Christ. He has made us his own. And Paul says, I press into that. I press in to the suffering that is before me. Now think about that. We read of the Apostle Paul's life. who had, He's been beaten to the point of unconsciousness for the gospel. He's been imprisoned. He's set sail on missionary journeys and his boat is shipwrecked and he's left on these deserted islands. And yet he presses forward. He's in prison right now. And we would think, Paul, surely you have experienced what it means, even as he says in Colossians, to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. To be like him in his death. You have suffered the most for the gospel. Surely you know what joyful sacrifice is. And Paul says, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be yet. And yet he says he presses on. Why would Paul press on? Because there is more joy in suffering for the sake of others. And if you're going to be like Christ, if you're going to pursue and seek to catch him, you're going to have to believe there is more joy in suffering for others. You're going to have to believe that you will never, ever, ever be made like Christ through a life of ease, self-centeredness, hiding in fear. No, you will be made like Christ when you step out and risk even your life for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says, that's what we press into. 
So often we define godliness and Christ-likeness in the church and immediately we think about Bible reading plans and we think about prayer and we think about this list of things that we can do. And if I can check off all of these lists, this list, I will be like Christ. No, Christ defines obedience and suffering and sacrificing for others with no boundaries, whatever it costs. And so if our Bible reading and our prayer and all of our disciplines don't lead us to suffer and sacrifice for others, it's useless. And Paul says, no, you will find more joy when you press in. I'm going to give in a way that's going to cost me something. I don't know how I'm even going to balance my budget, but I'm going to give. I'm going to give and I'm going to prove the gospel is true. I'm going to make decisions to go to places where it's dangerous for the sake of the gospel. And let me tell you, we're living in a time where as we move forward, it's going to become more and more and more and more and more dangerous to go to the places that we even go to as a church for the sake of the gospel. And the question for us will be, is there more joy there? Is there more joy there? To go and preach the gospel to places where it's dangerous. To the homeless crack addict who just walked out of a mosque in the ninth ward. I'm going to go tell him about Jesus because there's more joy there. Will we believe that? Paul says we can't be like Christ unless we press into those things. I heard a story from a pastor this week. And he was talking to Christians in the Middle East. And and he heard that many of them were being killed because they were Christians. They were being imprisoned. And he called them and he says, he says, hey, how can we come help you? Th- things, are, things are bad in your area. What do you need? What can we send you? And the pastor in the Middle East who, who, who is about to be imprisoned and killed for the sake of the gospel, it's very possible even today, he turned to the American pastor and says, we don't need your help. How can you help us? You don't know what it's like to suffer. You don't know what it's like to risk your life for Christ in America. How can you help us? No, there's joy in what's going on in our context. We get to taste the joy of suffering for Jesus. And Paul says, press into those things. Don't shirk back from those things. The opportunity for joy is there. And he says in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Think about Paul, where he's writing from. I ain't there yet. I haven't suffered like I need to suffer. I'm a poor reflection of Jesus. I haven't made it my own, but it's what I long for. And you feel the tension with Paul. I'm pursuing Christ. and, And I'm getting there, but I'm not there. And yet he continues to push forward. Notice he says, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Notice the focus there. The the absolute focus. I'm zeroed in on Christ. I'm running this race for Christ. Christ is out ahead. And I'm following his example. And and I've got blinders on and Jesus is all that matters. And he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And what does he mean here? means Paul's not looking back to his religious resume that we heard last week. Paul was the epitome of... Of what we might call self-righteousness. He had the list. He had the resume. He had accomplished all. He was at the top of the charts when it came to good things. Paul says, I'm not looking back at that. That, That's not going to help me run the race, Christ before me. 
Paul would call himself the chief of sinners. One who persecuted the church. Killed Christians. He would look in the mirror and say, okay, who's the worst sinner of them all? Me, Paul. I'm at the top of the list. I killed Christians. I, I wrote down the official commission to go kill the Christians. My hand was on the documents. Blood was on my hand. You don't get any worse than that. He says, I'm not looking back to that. Christ redeemed me from that sin. I'm just looking at Christ. And the one who suffered for me, I'm going to suffer with him. And I'm running to Christ. Christ is in front of me. I'm not looking back at my self-righteousness. I'm not looking back at my sinful past. I'm pressing on, notice verse 14, toward the goal of the prize. The trophy of the upward call of God in Christ. Paul has been called to run this race by the Spirit of God. And he is on track to receive the trophy, which is Christ's kingdom. And God has, God has called him to this. This is the course he's on. And so he's not looking back. You know, runners who look back, they stumble and they fall. Runners who are happy they're in first place, they begin showboating and they don't finish well. Look how, look how far ahead I am. Paul says, it's not me. I'm just looking at Christ. I don't care where I am. I'm following Christ. And if I'm still alive, I'm still on the track and I'm still following Christ. A few weeks ago, I was running in my neighborhood and I was, I was probably doing something very spiritual like listening to a podcast or scripture or something. There's no way I was running while listening to George Strait. But I could hear faintly these words. Come back here. Come back here. I'm thinking, I've never heard these lyrics before. And I realized that it was one of my neighbors yelling, come back here, come back here. And I thought they were telling me to come back. And so, in mid-stride, I turn, and there is one of those, um, I, I knew the name of the dog in the first service, a Labradoodle, Labradoodle. It's like a poodle, German Shepherd, and it's this massive monster-looking dog with curls on it. And so, I turn around, and there is a Labradoodle. I mean, it's massive. It is right here. And as I turn, I trip over all, on my feet. And I fall through another neighbor's flower garden out by their mailbox. And I'm laying there on the ground like an idiot. I'm not hurt. I just don't want to get up because the neighbors are watching me. And I look at the guy whose flower bed I fell through. And I'm thinking, I said, I'm sorry. He said, no, just go on. That was hilarious. (laughs) And, And I tell the story. It's just kind of therapy for me because I was so embarrassed and humiliated. No one would ever know if I didn't tell you. But, but I just imagine if I had a herd look back, look back, and I just sprinted, that would have never happened because I'm way faster than a Labradoodle. But the same thing happens in the Christian life. We want to look back at things that we've accomplished. Look at all I've done for Jesus. We, we want to look back and say, yeah, but I'm really slow and I've stumbled and I've fell. And we want to sit in the track and not move. Paul says, no, don't look back. Put the blinders on and run forward. And notice here, Paul describes finishing the race, running the race. He, he, he describes 
the, the, the kingdom. He doesn't distinguish between running the race and finishing the race and receiving the kingdom. It's all the same. I, as I run the race, I am running in the kingdom, for the kingdom, on track for the kingdom. And Paul's point here is if I'm still alive, there's still time for more joy. If I'm still on the track and I still got that long to go, I have more opportunity to run strong for joy in Christ. If I just stay here and commiserate and even wait for Jesus to come back, there's no joy in that. No, if Jesus hasn't come back yet, I'm still running. I'm still on the track. If I'm still alive, I'm going to live for Christ because I believe dying is gain. And I'm going to live that way now. If I'm still on the track, I'm going to spend it all for Jesus. Not worried about past medals, not worried about falling down in the past. I'm going to be propelled forward. And there's some of you here today, and you aren't running because you're content with what you did years ago for Jesus. You ever heard that in the church? I've done my time. I served in the kids' ministry. I, I burned out serving coffee every week. I mean, I served so much coffee for Jesus, I couldn't serve him coffee anymore. It just wore me out, plumb out. I, I, I'm burned out. I've done my time. I hosted a BFG. I did Frontline. I did all of those things. Now it's time for the younger folks to do those things. You ever heard that in the church? Paul says, that's not the way to live for Christ. No, if you're still in the game, you're in the game. So run strong and finish strong. There's great joy and suffering and sacrifice. And if you're still on the track, still play the game, still run the race. And yet there's some of you here today and you're not serving because you're so introspective. Look at my sin. Look at the things I've done. How can I be used for Christ? How could anybody ever listen to me? What can I do for Jesus? How could I ever be accepted in that ministry? How could God ever use me? And you're thinking about things you did in high school. You're thinking about things you did in college. You're, you're thinking about the past. And Paul says, no, if you're in Christ, Jesus didn't die for you to make much of your sin. He died for your sin. So you would make much of him. So look to him and run. You know, some of you are like the kid, he strikes out and he walks back to the bench and pouts, I struck out. You know what that's called? Self-centeredness. That's called pride. That was about you. And you know what that kid should do? Not look to the past, not look at what just happened, but to stand up on the side of the dugout and start cheering for his team. It's not about me. Start encouraging his team. And that's what some of you need to do, but you're still so worried about your failures. You're still so worried about your sin. No, look to Christ who died for your sin and press forward in radical sacrifice. One of the ways to deal with guilt in your life, one of the ways to wean yourself off of self-centered introspective guilt is just to begin to serve others. And you stop looking to yourself and even your own sin. You start looking out at all of the people you could serve and sacrifice for. And that's what Christ calls us to. Look to Him and serve and sacrifice. Run the race. And He says here, let those who are mature think this way. Mature means complete or full grown. You have full understanding. And He says if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Now, Paul describes here someone who is mature in the church. And it's someone who is mature in the church realizes they don't have it all together. 
says there are going to be folks in the church who think, according to the law and traditions and even the, the, the regulations that the Judaizers we talked about last week are placing on the church because you're, you're marking off these things on your checklist, you have it together. And Paul says, no, that's not maturity. Maturity in the church is realizing you don't have it together and keeping your eyes on Christ and following Him. That's what maturity looks like. Not your list of do-goodisms. It's, are you able to realize you don't have it together, but Christ does? And you're looking to Him. He says, if you don't think this way, God's going to reveal it to you. His Word is going to change you if you're a real Christian. And life is going to reveal it to you. Have you ever seen those Christians who think they have it all together? And they got their list? And yet they're very inconsistent with their list? And eventually life reveals you don't have it together. You don't know as much as you thought you did. And you're not as close to Jesus as you think you are by your rules. God will reveal that to you. So look to Jesus and run to Him and stay close to Him. Quit looking back at your stuff that you've accomplished, your sin. Verse 16, He says, only let us hold true. And it means hold fast. Hold fast to what we have attained. What's interesting here is Paul says we've attained something. But the whole time he's like, I don't have it yet. I haven't grasped it yet. I'm working to get it, but I don't have it. I I long to gain Christ, but then I'm not there yet. And then here he says, hold fast to what you do have. Hold fast to what has been given to you. And he points here to the already not yet of the kingdom. Now, having an already not yet hermeneutic as you read your Bible is so important. Throughout the Bible, the kingdom has already come in the presence of God, but the kingdom is still coming, and that's how we live our life. Jesus, when he came, he said the kingdom is at hand. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He died for sin. He himself was raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand. Jesus can say the kingdom has already come. And when you believe in Jesus, the presence of that kingdom lives within you. And you have the hope of your sins forgiven to be raised from the dead and rule and reign with him. So you already have the kingdom. You already have the kingdom. So hold tight to the kingdom you have in the gospel. As you pursue Christ... And it's as if you don't have Christ. Paul says, cling to Christ. Because in the gospel, you have Christ. And so all godliness and Christ-likeness is pursued by realizing you have Christ. I have Christ, so I long to be like Christ. And the righteousness that I am pursuing and, and the sacrifice that I am chasing after, I realize I will never get it this side of heaven. I will never attain it this side of heaven. But in Christ, I already have it. I'm already righteous in Christ. Even as I pursue the trophy of Christ's righteousness. And so all godliness is pursued by clinging to the gospel. And Paul says that's what maturity looks like in the church. Running toward Christ, but realizing you have Christ. You see, little babies, they think, because they have a sin nature And and just the way they wake up in the world, they think the world revolves around them. Feed me! Now! They cry. Why do they do that? when When you have a baby, they're not just raising their hand going, whenever you get ready. No, they're like, now! 
and, and they think the world revolves around them. Young adults, teenagers, they think they know everything. They, they think they know more than you and I. And what happens as they mature? Babies realize, hopefully, some of them, to the degree that they do realize the world doesn't revolve around them, they become mature. Young adults, they live life, and they look back and go, oh, mom and dad were right. I was an idiot. Amen? That's called maturity. And Paul says that's how it happens in the church. When you're a little baby, you still think the world revolves around you. When you're a young adult in Christ, you still think you know a lot. But when you're an adult, a mature in Christ, you realize you're not there yet. You're not, I'm not there yet. You look back on your life and you say, I could have done more for Christ. You look back on your life and you say, I, I didn't know as much as I could. And you live in that state of, I'm not what I thought I was and I don't know as much as I thought I was. Does that resonate with any of you here today? You long to be like Christ? But, but the, it seems as though the closer you get to Christ, you're less like Christ. That's the way it feels in my, my life. The more I know Jesus, I'm left with realizing I'm as unlike Jesus as anybody I know. I still get angry. I'm impatient. I don't love. I'm unmerciful. And Jesus is gloriously perfect in all of those things. And I, I don't even compare. I long to, but I don't compare. And Paul says maturity as a Christian is saying, I want those things, but I'm going to cling to those things in the gospel that I already have. You see, if I told you, some of you are thinking, that doesn't make any sense. You're telling us to run this race really, really hard, but what you're telling us is that we already have the gospel. We already have the trophy that we're longing for. And some of you would say, well, that's going to cause people to be lazy. That's going to cause people to be unmotivated. Try to be like Christ, but, but you don't have to be like Christ because you have the gospel. Well, that's going, to un, that's going to keep people unmotivated to pursuing Christ. Well, I've realized this being around athletics. And if you know any competitor, you realize if you gave them the trophy before the game, if you told them they were going to win the game, they would play even harder. You know why? They love the game. They love practice. They, they, they love every moment of competition in the game. And they're going to strive and strive and strive and strive. They don't even care that they've already won. It's not going to make them lazy. And if in the Christian life, you having the gospel, you already having the trophy, causes you to be apathetic about Christ-likeness, you were never in the game. Because there is great joy in suffering the way Christ suffered for the Christian. Because he wants to be like Christ. And the player who you would say, okay, here's the trophy. Here's the trophy. You're going to win the game. They would play as hard as they could because they loved the game. And you know what they would do? They would play a lot more free. Because they would know they can't mess it up. They would play with great joy. They would play without guilt. Knowing 
I can't mess this up. Jesus is already one. That's the way the Christian life works. You, you get to suffer and sacrifice and actually love people in the most genuine net way, knowing Jesus has already paid for your sin and given you righteousness and your eternity is secure. So all you have to do is love. And the true Christian finds great delight in loving, sacrificing, looking to Christ and running the race. Striving to keep pace with our example, who is Christ. Striving to finish the race with the Father standing before us. Who's already given us the trophy. Who's just ready to receive us home. We press on without pressure and great joy. But it gets better than just a trophy that you have in your hand. Because as you make your way to the finish line, Jesus isn't one who has torched you up the hill. Jesus is the one who's already gone to the top of the hill and died for your sin and run the race for you. And so as you strive to finish the race, by the power of the Spirit, you look over, and it's not as though Jesus is waiting for you. He's running with you. And the more you look to Him, He's saying, stop looking back. Look to me. Let's run together. Let's finish this race together. Because the joy that was set before me and suffering and sacrifice is now the joy that is given to you. 